everyone. Welcome to episode 65 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts. I'm Chris Castor-Apple. With me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Hey, Collins. What's up, Chris? Not much. How was your weekend? Pretty good. It sounded like I missed a pretty sweet IQ. It was pretty sweet. It was a it was a modern IQ, uh, <laughs> and I've been playing a lot of Storm lately, so I brought Storm to this tournament. And yeah, it went pretty well. I am really liking Storm right now. I think that I'm probably going to try to play it in Charlotte. Uh, I've been playing Caleb Share's Fetch the Storm list. Um, I mean, you can't go too wrong there, right? Yeah, for sure. I'm not really sold on the whole like fetchless idea, but I think that a lot of people focus on you know should I play fetch lands or not in my storm list, and that's like kind of the least important yeah, thing. That, that you seems can think like about. a one percent decision, <laughs> yeah, right? Either way. So, but I've been trying to like you know learn about the the rest of the storm list, and um, I think that once I get really comfortable with it, I'm probably going to create my own build, mm-hmm. kind of with my own like ideas on post war plans and matchups and stuff. So. I'm sure we can talk a lot more about that at some point in the future. But yeah. yeah, and we'll probably talk about, you know, we one of our topics today is modern. We're going to get back to our modern roots a little bit. We've been talking a lot about Standard, and we've got yeah. some modern tournaments coming up. So yeah. we'll... Because, I mean, Standard's been pretty awesome. So, it has. You know. Yeah. Uh... But thank God. I think, <laughs> you know, we're almost, we're like three weeks in now, and I think we can start to say, like, I think this is just a good standard format. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we had a, a PTQ pretty dominated by one archetype, but mm-hmm. I don't think that that's necessarily indicative of what things are going to be like going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll talk about that too in a little bit. Before we get started, want to take a minute and thank our newest patrons. So thank you so much to Patrick, Will, Michael, and Chris for subbing. Definitely really appreciate it. Uh, I think most of you guys joined after I set the Patreon to automatically collect your addresses, which I am strongly regretting not doing from the start of setting up the Patreon. Well, you know, we're new, we're learning. Yeah, we're figuring things out. So yeah, the reason that I am regretting that is because now we are about to start sending out tokens to all of our patrons. Um, So if you are a patron and you haven't yet sent me your address on Twitter or Discord or however you want to reach me, go ahead and send me your address and we'll make sure to get those tokens out to you if you're not a patron yet. Why not think about becoming a patron and we'll get some tokens out to you. And then hopefully we can do a a celebratory stream. We only need a couple more patrons before we do that. I'm excited. Yeah. So we got some good stuff coming. Um, Different tiers, different rewards. Uh, Join the Discord, get some tokens. If you want to lend us a little more support, then you get to look at the show notes or come hang out while we're recording and uh, maybe get some, some merch. I am thinking about now selling some hats uh, at pretty much our cost for for getting them just because if people want to rock some grindcast gear you're more than welcome to yeah that um, sounds great so anybody who is interested in some hats can just message me and we'll figure things out i don't have like the store officially set up or anything like that but if you if you want to wear a grindcast hat you know we got you so nice very exciting so should we kick things off with a keeper mole uh yeah let's do it cool so this one comes from discord chat this is a Keeper Mall from DBL Cup, Double Cup, I guess. Um, so this is Game 2, playing Grixis Shadow on the play versus Hollow One. And this hand is Triple Leyline of the Void, Inquisition of Kozilek, Dismember, Death Shadow, and Swamp. Uh, so 
the best sideboard card possible in the matchup, but we've got way too many of them. Yeah. And then we've got a hand that doesn't totally, like, put a threat into play. You know, Swamp does not lower your life total for Death Shadow. Dismember does, but doesn't get us quite low enough. Inquisition of Kozilek isn't great, but we, you know, we're on a one-land hand with no cantripping or anything like that and only one color of mana. But we are starting out gimping their deck Really hard. Starting out with Leyline against Hollow One is very powerful. Well, reasonably hard. Reasonably um, hard. You know, I think I think that if this was a hand against like Dredge, for example, mm-hmm. I I might be a little more inclined to keep it. Sure. Just because uh, I think that in that matchup, then yes, we would definitely be you know hurting their strategy quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But against against Hollow One in particular, having Leyline out is definitely very strong. It definitely takes out some of the very strong elements of their deck, like the the Phoenixes and the Gurmag Anglers mm-hmm. and the Recurring you know, blood the, the recurring threats. And, you know, to be fair, those are, in this particular matchup against Death Shadow, you know, pretty important sure. aspects of, of that matchup. The the Hollow One player typically leans pretty hard on the Bloodcasts and the Phoenixes in order to kind of, like, chip through some annoying damage that the kind of, like, the one-for-one trades of the Death Shadow player mm-hmm. aren't going to work out very well with. But because our hand is... Outside of the ley lines, going to be really, really clunky. We only have Swamp and Dismember and Inquisition to kind of like start off the game. Um, we are pretty soft to a lot of the openers that the the Hollow One deck can present that kind of ignore the graveyard. Like starting off with the turn one, what's the one two creature? Uh, uh, flame Blade. Adept. Yeah, so turn one Flame Blade Adept into like a Goblin Lore that produces some Hollow Ones could be disastrous for us, mm-hmm. right? So if they have just like one of their draws, and those draws are you know pretty typical to what I would expect out of Hollowed One, the graveyard stuff typically comes later, right? So I think that with this hand, we're running the risk a little too much of getting run over by just like the you know the aspects of the Hollow One deck that ignore the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, if they just like have a couple of Hollow Ones or like like two Hollow Ones by turn two isn't very unreasonable out of their deck. So I think that because their deck has the ability to just like, you know, play normally through a Leyline of the Void, and this hand would be crippling our own strategy a little bit too much, I think that I would, I would mulligan this as a 7. I think, and I you've played much more Death Shadow than I have, sure. but I have played a lot of Hollow One. Okay. And from the Hollow One side, this is actually a hand that I don't, I think I like it could certainly work out badly for the Death Shadow player, sure. especially like never drawing a land, uh, something like that, or you know, being or drawing a bunch of blue spells and being unable to cast them. Like this can go pretty badly, but this is one of the leyline mirrors, and mm-hmm. uh, you do not want to be the person without a leyline and the other person has a leyline in the leyline mirror. That's your, fair. Your cards don't work and their cards do, so that's bad. So you know, we've checked off that leyline box, mm-hmm. and then we want to figure out if our strategy can beat their strategy when neither of us has a graveyard. Yeah. And definitely I can picture hands from them that are going to beat what we've got here, which is kind of not a not great land, a discard spell, a removal spell, and a death shadow. But what we do have is we have a threat that doesn't use our graveyard, which is very important. We have a discard spell on the play so we can see exactly what they're trying to do to us and make sure to try to take that apart. And, you know, we have the removal spell that actually works against Hollow One, which is one of their non-graveyard threats, um, or Flameblad Adept if that's what their hand is trying to present, and we, for some reason, can't take that apart with Inquisition of Kozilek. So, ultimately, I think most 
of the things that they're likely to present to us, this hand actually responds to pretty well. I'm going to start out with an Inquisition of Kozilek, look at what they're doing, and a lot of their cards are going to be dead or at least severely weakened by the ley line. So that Inquisition on turn one, I'm you know, a lot of times you can't take in a game one, you can't take the Flameblade Adept with Inquisition of Kozilek right. because they're going to use Faithless Lootings and then just kill you with their graveyard creatures. Yeah. You can just do that in this game when you have Leyline. And the fact that the their strategy is probably going to be trying to plink us to death with the guys that they managed to get into mm -hmm. play. And the card Death Shadow is very powerful against that strategy. Okay. It's really hard to get through that. So, you know, from a hollow one perspective my opponent starting out ley line and that having these cards in their hand mm -hmm. that's a start that i'm gonna have to be doing something relatively special to beat and i think it's i think this is a completely fine keep interesting okay so but but i i mean i, I don't think it's an insane hand or anything <laughs> like that certainly sure. this is definitely borderline but i would keep it i think okay yeah i mean i definitely see your point i guess uh, part of my hesitation is that i think that this is like a this kind of like reminds me of uh, uh, the examples of people keeping just like generally bad ley line hands, mm -hmm. and generally those are typically something I I try to shy away from. Absolutely. Um, my my opinions of ley line of the void or just like ley lines in general have kind of like evolved. I think over time, <laughs> um, I used to be in the strong camp of you only ever play four or zero ley lines in your seventy five, and I think that that has you know changed for me a little bit. But yeah, I think that this. Uh, my hesitation here is because I, I I am always very wary of the leyline of the white hands that are just like you know you're keeping it just on the strength of leyline avoid mm -hmm. and then you know if that doesn't work out then you're you're a pretty big dog but you know having the inquisition and the dismember as well to be able to deal with like the first hollow one is you know pretty relevant yep so yeah I mean you know I can definitely get behind those arguments so yeah I, I think. I think there's pretty strong arguments both ways. But yeah, like this is not a hand that I'm keeping just on the strength of Leyline of the Void. Like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The way that these Leyline mirrors go, like my game plan thoughts about them are like, okay, if we both have a Leyline in play, what happens? It sounds like you're putting a lot more value on getting rid of your opponent's graveyard just from the perspective of the the smaller creatures, yeah. right? Oh, and yeah. that might be, you know, you have a lot more experience from the Hollow One side, so you might just like understand that. Yeah, in the Death Shadow matchup, the, those little creatures are what it's all about. And if that's true, then yeah, this hand is much better than I'm thinking. I, it's it's mostly the Phoenix is so difficult to, you know, if, if you're taking yourself down to like six to kill me with your Death Shadow, yeah. like Phoenix is just a huge threat coming <laughs> oh, out of yeah. the graveyard. So. Right. Right. The, the, the triple ley line is not ideal, but mm -hmm. at least we're not drawing ley lines from here on yeah, out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> right. And I think another thing that makes this hand a little more interesting is... Some of the Death Shadow lists are actually playing Faithless Looting mm -hmm. as like a, you know, just a one or a two of. Um, but if I had access to Faithless Looting my deck and I could just put out one of the Leyline of the sure. Voids, then, you know, that could be another reason to keep this hand. Granted, we would have to draw both a R red, red source, source and the Faithless Looting, right. which is a little awkward. So it probably is not enough of a, you know, percentage boost or whatever to yeah. to, to affect this too much. But I thought I'd... I'd I figure I'd mention that because you don't have to put out all of your ley lines. You can save some of them, especially, you know, I don't think that the hollow one deck... They have no way to remove it. ...has any way to get one off. So. So there's some some people... Um, some people have kind of, like, leaned towards maybe splashing Destructive Revelry, but usually the only green card is is Ancient Grudge, so... Fair enough. Yeah. So it's unlikely. You know, maybe you put two in play. Right. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. If you really, really want to get, get yeah. the graveyard yeah. forever. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Cool. But yeah. Yeah, interesting, interesting hand. hand. Jinx. Jinx. <laughs>
<laughs> well, geez. <laughs> well, good start. Good uh, yeah, start. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, so we're going to talk about standard for just a little bit. We've been talking about it a lot. There's still new stuff happening, hard not to talk about, uh, but we're, we definitely want to reserve some time to talk about modern. But, you know, standard is still developing. I guess the big story is really uh, looking at that Magic Online PTQ and holy crap, like six black green midrange decks in the top eight, six more in the top 32. A lot of black green. A lot of black green. All right, yep. so what do we what do we take away from this? I, I think number one... The, the first takeaway before we really like dig into it is just looking at the lists. We notice that none of the lists in the top eight are gruesome menagerie lists. Yeah. Um, these are really not graveyard based. We don't have any stitcher suppliers. These are mostly decks that are leaning on the strength of planeswalkers and find and finality for yeah. card advantage. Maybe right. a little bit of eldest reborn, but these are pretty simple, like mo- like explore creatures and then good cards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so right. Find and finality is definitely, I think, the card that pushes these archetypes over the top. It's really really good just kind of in every matchup it feels like Mm -hmm. it's either like uh sometimes like a double demonic tutor depending on how big your graveyard is (laughs) sometimes it's you know the board sweeper that you really really need to 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 get back into the game especially since green white has been you know was was definitely the boogeyman of the week one of the format yep so yeah that card is is really insane and then the other card that these this deck has access to is vraska relic seeker which has been an all-star all-star planeswalker for a long time now. I think if you're playing these mid-range decks, you should be playing three Vraska Relic Seekers. Yeah, three Vraska Relic te- Seekers, three Find of Finalities. Yep. Because that's how you not win. Particularly you close. don't win. Yeah. If you, like, it's so hard to kill your opponent if you don't find a Vraska eventually. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, you know, all the Explore Creatures... Additionally, I think that people generally undervalue those explore creatures. Mm-hmm. The body that comes with uh, some ability to manipulate your library, either by drawing a land or by you know scrying towards your Vraskas or kind of whatever. Those those work really well in that Planeswalker shell because you you're going to have bodies that are going to clog up the board and mm-hmm. make it hard for your opponent to get through, um, and then your Planeswalkers from there are going to be able to take over the from you know from that. Point. Sure. So, uh, yeah, both the Vraska and I've seen a lot of lists that run, like, main deck, the five-mana green Planeswalker. Oh, a Vivian Reed. Yeah. So they're running, you know, main deck Vivian Reeds as well now. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, like, the plan of clocking up the board and then having a Planeswalker to sit back on yep. with access to sweepers reminds me a lot, honestly, about the, the post-board plans that uh, I saw Todd Stevens take in the green-white mirrors, where he would board into... Vivian reads and sweeper effects and mm-hmm. just like try to clog up the board and then rely on those planeswalkers to take over the game yeah so it seems like that plan works really really well right now in standard in these like you know creature board stall matchups mm-hmm. so yeah I'm, I'm not surprised to see them have success because of that yeah i so this is kind of a weird question um you know we want to think about all right how do we beat these decks well the problem is that there's so many possible cards that could be in these decks that yeah, it's really in the hard. Green, black decks. Yeah. You know, like one of the things so to get mono red to beat one of these decks, I think mm-hmm. you need to have a couple of different plans ready and be ready to kind of adjust on the fly sure. based on like if they don't have wild growth walker, then I just want all of my cards to deal two damage to their face. Yeah. And I don't want to mess around too much with trying to remove their guys. I don't want to worry about their planeswalkers. I just want to, like, Wizards Lightning them. And then whether it's Risk Factor or Experimental Frenzy or or Flame of Keld, I want to get a couple more cards and then I just want to finish them off. But if they have Wild Growth Walker, that plan just doesn't, just doesn't <laughs> yeah, work. Right, for sure. Yeah, being able to gain three life just instantly and repetitively mm-hmm. is 
a, a pretty big boon for these decks, for sure. The one card that I've seen red players kind of foregoing recently is Rekindling Phoenix. Yeah. I've, I've looked at a lot of the red lists that, that people have been playing on, um, you know, on Goldfish and everything, and it seems like everybody's really shifting towards Experimental Frenzy and away from uh, Rekindling Phoenix. Mm -hmm. But I'm remembering back to when I was testing out a ton of green-black early on before the first open, mm -hmm. whenever I played a red opponent and they slammed a Phoenix, I just lost to it every time. <laughs> um, because green-black doesn't really have any like good answers that aren't just like two-forming themselves on the Phoenix. And drawing multiple removal spells isn't something that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that a shift back towards a bunch of rekindling phoenixes from red is going to be necessary to battle all of these green black decks sure so so green black does have a couple of it and this is of course depending on the list that you're playing against yeah, yeah, yeah um so you know the the things that green black can do to solve a rekindling phoenix are they can deadweight it just to buy themselves some time sure um they can like brad nelson has been really behind death gorge scavenger mm -hmm. as an answer to it i mean that does require you to get them to block or you to use a removal spell in the sure. death gorge scavenger so that can be a little bit complicated the one mana minus X minus X undergrowth card uh, hasn't been seeing very much play, but could be an answer to yeah, it. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and I, I think a lot of these lists have like two Raskus Contempts in the sideboard. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but, you know, they have to draw those. Mm -hmm. And against the rest of their deck, especially the Planeswalkers, Phoenix is very, very good. Yeah. So, right. Um, I, I guess like the worst situation would be like if Vivian Reed kills your Phoenix and then Death Gord Scavenger comes down and eats the token, that feels really bad. <laughs> yeah, it feels pretty bad. For but sure. I don't, I think, especially in post-board games, you're not going to be seeing very many Vivian Reeds against Mono Red, so. Uh, yeah, I, I would think so. And, but I, you know, I, I, I do want to say I, like, called it a little bit, where I was like, <laughs> Black Green right now, there's so many options, but I wouldn't be surprised at all if later on in the format they, like, figure out what the best build of Black Green is, mm -hmm. and that just becomes really popular. Here we are. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, definitely. Um, I, I kind of am... Uh, I kind of like the idea of the sideboard gruesome menageries. Mm -hmm. um, just, you know, maybe one or two copies of them or something like that yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for against the red decks and other smaller decks where casting it just ends the game immediately. Yeah. Um, it's, it's terrible against, like, any of the blue decks because it's a five-mana sorcery that requires a bunch of setup, but... Anytime they've brought back a wild ghost walker and a, a jade light ranger, <laughs> yeah, you're done. <laughs> right. Yeah, for sure. I I'd be interested to see um, how many of these lists are actually running the wild ghost walkers in the sideboard. I've seen like a, 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 a couple a of these have like one huge variation of like one in the main deck, but I think that that card is like you know because it's so good against these red decks, it could mm -hmm. be a really good option to have in the sideboard. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, some of these have yeah one or two in the main deck and one in the sideboard. Uh, several of them just have none available. Right, okay, this right. one has four in the sideboard. Yeah. So, so people I, people are still figuring things out. You know, <laughs> it, it really depends on how much red you think you're going to play against, and because this card is pretty transformational in that matchup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if they have it then I think your sideboard plan as a red deck has to be, all right, I'm going to take out my shocks. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to take out my risk factors probably. And I'm going to plan on drawing experimental frenzies and rekindling phoenixes and, yeah. and beating them that way with cards that they, you know, have a hard time answering. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's a lot tougher to do than just draw a bunch of burn against a deck that doesn't have answers to burn, but you do what you got to do. <laughs> Yeah, um, for sure. One card that I've been really impressed with against any build of the green-black deck is Tagali Honor Guard. Uh, one and a white for a 1-3. Uh, 
when creatures creatures entering the battlefield don't cause abilities to trigger. Oh, Just yeah, yeah, yeah. turns off the deck. Right. It doesn't die to Deadweight, doesn't die to Ravenous Chupacabra. They're playing a whole bunch of two-mana two-ones in their deck. <laughs> Three-mana two-ones, even, yeah. in the case of Jade Light Ranger. Right, right, right. Uh, like, their only answer to it is, like, casting a finality, or if they draw, like, their one of, or, or hopefully two of, because I've been pretty impressed with this card, Vraska Golgari Queen. Okay. Um, yeah, but in general, just like it ruins that setup phase of the game for them, and even in the mid game, like if their hand is just like Jade Light Ranger, Jade Light Ranger, Izoni, then they're they're toast. Mm-hmm. So I know Todd Stevens was trying it out in Green White. I think I really want to try it out in some of these chess guy lists out of the sideboard because if it's good enough as a sideboard card against uh, the red decks as well, it turns off Pyromancer. You know, you don't take a damage off a Chain Whirler, and it's just a 1-3, which is a fine blocker against the creatures that they currently run. The two ones for two and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, they're forced to spend a, th- a three damage removal spell on it to get through, and that buys you some time. So if it's good enough in that matchup, and then I'm sure that it's good in the green-black matchup, because they're not going to want to have the very narrow removal spells. You know, if it eats an Assassin's Trophy against green-black on turn three or four or something, then you've just moved on to the phase of the game where you are winning the game. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, and they don't have many other good answers to it. So uh, I, I am excited to try that card yeah. out of out of a Just Guy sideboard. Seems great, for sure. So, um, and, and so that's what I mean when I say, like, I think standard is good because even when this happens and there's just all this green black, mm-hmm. you know, all it really does is make me think like, okay, there's ways to beat this deck. Like, how are we doing that? Yeah. And, and it, it seems like we have a lot of really good tools, which is impressive considering the fact that we have actually like narrowed our standard field. We're only <laughs> at five sets now. Um, but it seems like, you know, that has definitely widened our options a lot, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, definitely. One card that I've been really impressed with and I kind of... I want to take it out of my sideboard and put it in my main deck and kind of build a deck around it right now is I kind of just want to run a deck with like three Carnage Tyrants main deck. Yeah. 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 It's just good against everything except for Mono Red. Right. Yeah. Good against the Green Black deck because you can just attack over their silly chump blockers or whatever, hit their Planeswalkers. Yep. Or their life total, you know, yeah. <laughs> whatever whatever floats your boat. Just doesn't matter. Like Jeskai doesn't run answers to it yeah. except for settle the wreckage right and if you have duresses then that that's great that's fine yeah so yeah carnage tyrant has seemed very very good i've heard people saying like the key to the black green mirror is like who draws more carnage tyrants which i believe and vine mares which i don't believe as much because both people have merfolk branch walkers and jade light rangers and yeah. that card looks really silly against one of those with a plus one plus one counter <laughs> yeah yeah, agreed that that card just doesn't seem to line up very well right now against a lot of stuff. Yeah. But basically, lots of room for brewing and, and switching things up. Like, I was thinking of heading over to Standard Showdown tonight, and I'm still waiting on some cards for my real decks, so I kind of want to play green-white hexproof creatures with on Sarah's wings. Okay, okay. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> may just skip it for tonight instead of playing no, a No, that sounds deck. awesome. You gotta do it. <laughs> so... We also have another deck dump. <laughs> the main reason I want to talk about this is I'd like to talk about some of these mana bases. <laughs> <laughs> mana bases are hilarious, especially 
in the early standard. People, <laughs> when when standard rotates and people are still trying to figure out the new mana bases and then they're beginning to like test the boundaries of what they can put in their deck with these new mana bases, <laughs> particularly now that we have all these like crazy, you know, double blue, double red cards, etc. Yeah, mana bases are something that a lot of people get pretty, pretty wrong early on in the format. And I think we might have a, f- a fun example of that here. <laughs> so... This first one is Jeskai Legends by Kamina0907. So a couple things with this deck. Uh, number one, it's got Deafening Clarions. Only two, but a lot of creatures that die to Deafening Clarion. Four Knights of Grace, two Raph Capuchin, Histories of Vanalia, two Resplendent Angels. Just like a lot of cards that you have to play early on and then just kind of bite the dust if you are forced to... Cast a Deafening Clarion. Does it have any Tajiks to, to like, combo with <laughs> It does not have those. Oh, no, this so is exciting. See, this is an almost mono-white deck. This yeah. is, the, this is the, the best thing about the deck. This uh-huh. is an almost mono-white deck that's sort of splashing for Deafening Clarion, Aurelia, Raph Capuchin, and four Teferi's main deck. It's a creature deck with just a bunch of Teferi's in it. Look, man, Teferi's, Honestly, Teferi's I'm fine busted. With that. that sounds great. <laughs> but, so there's some other decks in this list that make the sacrifice to run blue mana and then run the Teferi's like three in the main deck yeah. or they sideboard the Teferi's. Right. If you're going to run the blue, like run the Teferi's. And yeah, if you have blue and white in your deck, you should probably play playing Teferi at, at somewhere in your deck. The yeah. card is very good. Yeah. And and if you're if you're going to run any main deck, like just run the four. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not against running teferis in like these creature based decks yeah. like it, it can come down and just be a removal spell and if they're on the defensive and then it, that forces them to let you untap with teferi fine that's great what where this deck kind of falls apart for me is that it is almost mono white in the main deck with those light splashes mm-hmm. so totally fine mana base five planes in the mana base two niv mizzet perons in the side <laughs> <laughs> Um, look, man, sometimes you just want to cast your six mana five five on turn 12. Yeah, sometimes, <laughs> and you just can't even then. Right. So, th- so this is a 24 land deck with five planes in it. So it's a 19 land deck for casting this particular six drop. Yikes. So yeah, definitely a yikes on that from me. But I mean, other than that, I kind of get what this deck is doing. So I'm not like totally against some it. Some good ideas there. Yeah, for sure. definitely some good ideas. Just... Yeah, I thought that when I first glanced at this list, I thought it was a throwaway, like, one of Niv-Mizzet in the sideboard. Like, whatever, it's fine. Yeah. But two in the sideboard is a commitment to spells you cannot ever cast. <laughs> right. Well, that is hilarious. Um, we also... It's all the Jeskai decks that are doing these crazy things for some reason. So here we've got Boros Angels. Just Boros Angels, Mishka 0817. I guess... I don't know if this is, like, calling people out or whatever. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm giving credit for some... for for concepts and stuff this is boros angels nothing too crazy in here uh four steam vents main deck and two teferis in the sideboard and you can cast them off of the four main deck steam vents and the the two sideboard treasure maps that's not enough for me (laughs) yeah it seems a little seems a little much i mean i'm all for playing teferi sure maybe eight sources of blue seems reasonable uh, and almost just kind of free, given the mana bases that we have right now. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean, we don't have Hallowed Fountain, so that's tough. Because then you'd have to run, like, Glacial Fortress and a deck with some mountains and clifftop retreats in it, which sure, is not yeah, ideal. Yeah. The other thing that bugs me about the Teferis in the sideboard of this deck is the two Sorceress Spyglasses in the sideboard. Which, I feel like 
80% of the time you're bringing in Sorcerer Spyglass, it's to name Teferi. Well, there might be a new boogeyman now. Right. Uh, naming Vraska is great. Yeah. And that that's totally fine. But you are taking away a fair amount of the utility of your Sorcerer Spyglass by making it not able to name Teferi. Yeah, that's fair. Unless you're not bringing in Teferi's against the control decks. But you got that to. Seems, that seems completely wrong to well, me. Well, maybe. I mean, I don't. He might have a very specific plan sure. um, involved for the for the control decks um, that you know doesn't involve. Bringing I mean, he's got fairies. two bane fires on the sideboard. Sure. So that may be the plan. I don't know if I could call that like a plan per se. More like a bullet card, right? But, um, bane fire is a plan in a can. Well, okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> I, I was an advocate of running um, in my white weenie deck. Uh, some red sources and one mountain in the sideboard with a bunch of bane fires, so that when I inevitably got settled the wreckage, I could get him with the bane it. fire. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I um, like that. It's, and it's really easy for White Weenie to deal ten damage to these Jeskai decks. Right, really easy. Right. So, and that was definitely too cute. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I can get behind the idea. Yeah, I'm, I'm about it. And then finally, for the last insane Jeskai deck, uh, just philosophically, this one. This is Felidaire. It's pretty much Boros Angels, splashing for a couple of Disdainful Strokes and a couple of Teferi's main deck. Disdainful Stroke, I do want to take a time to say that that card has been, you know, I think that's always been a standard staple, but mm-hmm. right now it seems really, really strong right yeah. now. Um, it hits a lot of the removal spells that are in the format. It hits, um, like, just the big Planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. Really impressed with that card and and i could definitely get behind splashing it right now agree if people are playing march of the multitudes the way the black green decks operate is they play a bunch of like very dorky spells and then they play like one or two that matter in order to then buy them time for a couple more that matter if you disdainful stroke the first spell that matters yeah you're in really good shape and i don't mind splashing to fairy in these creature decks the thing i have a problem with is splashing to fairy and running three of them and running one Vance's blasting cannons in your main deck over the fourth to fairy. I... Look, man, sometimes you gotta you gotta have some <laughs> blasting cannons. Um... <laughs> I'm I can't I can't do it. I can't get behind it. Um, yeah. All right. Well, fair. I mean, this is even a deck. I, it doesn't have a lot of ways to take advantage of the untapped lands. You know, it's got disdainful stroke lightning strike justice strike as as three two ofs that are you know all fine to cast the turn after you cast teferi so it's not making the best use possible of teferi but i gotta imagine that teferi is just better than vance's blasting cannons yeah i can definitely get mine <laughs> yeah i mean teferi with the with the two mana red removal spells seems pretty strong right now it's nice yeah. yeah just like an, an additional way to you know have a five mana five loyalty planeswalker and you know kill something it just honestly, it kind of reminds me of Chandra, uh, Torture Defiance mm-hmm. in these decks. If you're playing, so Chandra was really, really strong in the aggressive uh, red black deck of old standard because you could put your opponent on the defensive, slam this planeswalker, and then your opponent just like really couldn't afford to pressure it too much without leaving themselves open to sure. kind of getting beat down. And I think that Teferi here might be similar in that way where. If you're on the beatdown and then you slam this Planeswalker and your opponent feels really pressured, you know, I think that that's, you know, a, a pretty good uh, play pattern for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, definitely. I, I like I like the idea of putting it into this kind of Boros Angels style deck because Boros Angels kind of requires the game, your, your draws to like line up exactly how you want them to. Right. 
in order for you to execute execute your plan of like giant guy, giant guy, giant guy. And Teferi, I think, allows you a little bit more flexibility there. And kind of it's just another giant guy. It is another giant guy. Yeah, absolutely. But it gives you that long-term plan. At some point in a lot of games, you're just like matching one for one with them. You, you play a Lyra, it dies. You yeah. play a Shalai, it dies. Teferi, barring them having Vraska's Contempt, right. just doesn't doesn't fall into that trap quite the same way. It's starting to sound like Vraska's Contempt is more and more necessary these days. I think that a lot of people have been running a bunch of Chupacabras, and that makes sense given mm-hmm. the context of what we've been looking at in in Standard, but I, I think that if you're playing Black right now, you definitely want to reassess what's going on in the format, what the big threats are, and Vraska's Contempt just seems like it's pretty necessary right now. Yeah, I, I think most people's plans against Green-Black involve Planeswalkers somehow. Yeah. The mirror revolves entirely around Vraska Relic Seeker. Right. The the Selesnya decks are going to be, you know, often bringing in Vivian Reeds. There's lots of Ajani-based plans. So having just a way to make that not work is, is very useful. Yeah. What do you think you'd play right now if you had a standard tournament like this weekend? I mean, honestly, Black-Green looks really tempting for mm-hmm. me. I'd probably want to fix up my kind of my own list of black green i'd guess mm-hmm. but I, I i do really want to take away a lot of the concepts that people are having success with kind of what i was talking about earlier with the board stall the ground win with you know gain advantage with the planeswalkers yeah kind of plan uh but then yeah also i think that brass's contempt is definitely something that I, I would consider a lot more of at least three in the 75 somewhere i would say but yeah i mean it looks like that deck is pretty well positioned and, and can be tooled towards kind of whatever uh, metagame that you would expect. Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely want a version that has access to a bunch of wild growth walkers for the aggressive decks, but mm-hmm. then can also just transition out of that, like take out all of the wild, the entire wild growth walker plan for when that's not good. One interesting question is whether or not you run Lanoir Elves. Um, yeah. And I think some people have been a little too excited to take the Lanoir Elves out of their decks sure my my philosophy after playing with some of these decks and after seeing some of them play is if you are in a spot where you want to main deck ritual of soot that's a good reason to not have lanoir elves sure if that's not what you're doing i don't think you have a good reason not to run lanoir elves yeah. just getting your planeswalkers out a turn early is so good and if you're running eldest reborn and you're not running El- lanoir elves i think that is a mistake sure so yeah yeah, I mean, I can definitely see it because uh, these green-black decks seems really mana-intensive. Like, the curves get pretty high. Yeah. In my experience, your hands get pretty clunky with, like, a bunch of threes and fours in your hand. And in the early turns, you know, before you get to, you know, seven mana, you're not going to be able to double spell very consistently. Right. So, yeah, just being able to to ramp up a little bit, make sure you're, you're able to empty your hand. Uh, you really don't want to get stuck on lands. I'm a pretty big fan fan of a pretty high land count in these kind of decks Mm -hmm. so right uh, and it's not like you can't run utility lands too to help mitigate some flood like memorial of folly is very good Mm -hmm. um i don't think it's insane to run an arch of araska um yeah so so yeah i can definitely get behind some land or elves that card is just really strong it's just really good yeah yeah and it's and i'm pretty sure that the rest of the black green deck has enough inherent value in it that you're not really gonna be sad about drawing the occasional uh, Lanor Elf here and there later on. Right. And and anytime you play a Planeswalker a turn early because you had a Lanor Elf, you just immediately make up that value. Yeah, so. it definitely feels that way. What would you play right now in, in Standard? Um, so I what I would 
what I would aim for first would be to try to come up with a Jeskai build that I feel comfortable against various black-green strategies with. Yeah. And that means re- not relying on holding specific cards in my hand because duress is a thing. So you need to construct your your plan around the fact that you're going to get duressed. Mm-hmm. So I can't be like, I'm going to exile all of their creatures with Settle the Wreckage. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. And so that, that, means settle, that means Carnage Tyrant is a problem. Um, and so that may just be like an unovercomable problem. But if I start out with a Takatli Honor Guard post-board then they're going to have a hard time getting up to the amount of mana they need mm-hmm. quickly enough to make that relevant. Um, so I think I would want to start with a Jeskai deck. I think there is some way to make it beat a lot of stuff. Yeah. So that, that, that's, where, that's where I would be. I've been surprisingly impressed by the way it plays out. Um, and that so, makes sense. So if you can adjust in a way to keep up with the value that the black green deck is trying to generate or stop it from generating that value and also adjust in a way to keep up with the red decks. And if I I guess the thing is just that I'm excited to try to honor guard, like as a four of out of the sideboard out of, uh, out of that deck. And if it solves the problems that like my theory ideas think that it solves, then that might be a good place to be. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It makes a lot of sense. It seems like a really good way to attack the current metagame of mm-hmm. a bunch of black-green decks. If you can figure out that matchup really well, then, yeah, it seems like you could get a really good advantage there. Yeah, so that, that's what I would try for sure. But right now, I'm actually working on Modern. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's do it. So we've got some tournaments coming up. We've got SCG Charlotte. We've yep. got GP Atlanta right after that. So uh, as much as I would like to just play draft and standard all the time right now, we got to <laughs> go back to the old stand, the old faithful of modern. Yeah. Um, so you've been playing a lot of Storm recently. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. tell me about that decision. Storm just kind of feels like a deck that... Well, so I've been talking a lot about being able to figure out your, your plans in particular matchups, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's kind of like, I guess, the thing that I've been focusing on a lot recently in my magic playing is that I, you know, I think that that's one of the skills that I have where I'm, I'm pretty good at determining the plans in particular matchups. And that comes from my experience in modern. I'm just familiar with all of the modern decks and how they play out against each other. So I really wanted to find a deck that allowed me to really utilize that skill of understanding the plans and how the games play out post board and a way that I could capitalize on that. Storm is kind of the perfect deck for that angle of attack Mm -hmm. of really understanding what your opponent is going to be doing to disrupt your plan because you are a very linear proactive deck game one at least and uh if if storm also has kind of the most ability to or the best ability to play through the hate that the opponents bring in i've seen a lot of board plans that you know in the matchups where you're expecting a lot of graveyard hate to just kind of ignore the graveyard and try to storm off, you know, yeah. um, else, you know, doing something else, bringing in goblins. Um, I will say that bringing Leyline of the Void has almost never been enough for me. And it, right, it and just doesn't do it. Yeah, I've you know, I've been playing a lot of Storm, and and I post board, I I very very frequently run into graveyard hate, but I'm always prepared for it. Yep, because um, that's just the the default board plan is right. Bring in. I mean, bring in Empty the Warrens so you can halfway storm, bring in pieces of the puzzle so you can just have a giant yeah. hand. Like, the that's swap, what the board plan is. Yeah, the swap of... Uh, so the the a lot of the storm decks right now run four pieces of the puzzle on the sideboard and four gifts in the main deck. Mm-hmm. Gifts is excellent when you have a graveyard that you're always going to have access to. 
game one. Yep. So Gifts is the perfect game one card. It, you're blitzing out your opponents very, very frequently in game ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then post board they bring in a bunch of graveyard hate. So you just swap out the Gifts Ungivens for the um, pieces of the puzzle. And do you, you take out all of your Gifts Ungiven? Oh yeah. Just, okay. They're all gone. All uh, and then all the pieces of the puzzles in. Mm-hmm. And you'd be amazed at how consistently you can just storm off just by casting a couple of pieces of the puzzle yeah. like if you have a you know if you have a brawl into play and then you just like ritual and then cast pieces of the puzzle find some more rituals and then you can just like cast some cantrips and find you know a, a storm card yeah grave um, shot remand grave shot it just yeah i've had it, a lot of games right. end like it that it just kind of comes together and and by end like that i mean i am getting grape shot for 20 <laughs> because yeah. i haven't played as much storm as i should exactly so the better the storm player can understand what the the opponent is going to be how the opponent is going to be attacking them post board Mm -hmm. that just gives the storm player so much equity uh in those post board games because then they can design their deck to kind of maneuver around whatever um disruption the other player is going to be bringing in sure uh so i've been i've been you know i've been playing a lot and i've i haven't before the this past week or so got a lot of reps in from the storm side so i'm definitely still learning a lot about exactly what each matchup brings in in that particular matchup so that i can learn how to adjust it and everything right and that's that's the biggest thing for me when picking up any linear deck is getting to a point where i know exactly like almost without thinking about it what hate they're going to have because it influences the kinds of hands you you can keep yeah and and everything so for sure so yeah, so so be, and because Storm, you know, also just like it plays twelve cantrips, right? So you're you're going to be able to sculpt whatever postboard plan you have in that particular matchup pretty well, mm-hmm. um, based on your you know your your cantrips and everything. Sure. Um, so I've just really liked that flexibility of it and everything, and also I think that it's just like reasonably well positioned right now. There's not like a ton, you know. Burn is pretty popular right now, and Burn's not a very good matchup for Storm, right? Uh, just because they're just their basic plan of well, Idol on the Great Look well, Revels, right. quite yeah. a main deck card. <laughs> it's it, that is definitely a very good main deck card that you lose to sometimes, and also just like the whenever your opponent is presenting a, a, a quick clock plus a lot of disruption, yeah. that's that's a pretty big problem. Right, and Burns excellent at presenting a really quick clock. Right, and then playing a a a manner cost a cost reducing guy and getting it searing blazed is <laughs> yeah is terrible. Right, yeah, yeah. You never really want to just jam those out on turn two or whatever. Right. But yeah, I, you know, I've been I've been really enjoying it. Um, I think that it's got uh, a lot of interesting tools that I'm you know excited to kind of tinker around with. So I think that this might just be my next like pet modern deck that I that I tinker around with for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so and that's you know that's pretty fun. So where do we think we are in the? Because I haven't really been able to lock this down. Where do we think we are in like the modern wheel that we talk about? Because um, modern kind of like I, I can identify the big decks in modern right now, mm-hmm. but I don't really feel like either disruptive decks or creature decks or big mana or anything is like the the particular like at the top of the heap right now it it seems to me like so i think that the most recent big boogeyman of modern was blue white control yep so we are definitely in a format that was pretty dictated by these big control decks and everything Mm -hmm. and after that we saw a little bit of burn being the most popular deck um just because of kind of talked about this last week where burn works really well against these blue white control decks but i think that we are still kind of like at the tail end i guess of the these like you know mid-rangey jeskai control blue white control a lot of people are trying out 
Assassin's Trophy decks, mm -hmm. uh, so a bunch of rock decks and stuff. I think that those are probably going to be the most popular decks at the time being. That's kind of my read on where we are in modern. I've been playing against a lot of just kind of slower mid rangey decks, um, which is great for Storm. Sure. So so I, that's that's I think kind of where we are based on my experience. Mm -hmm. uh, but it it does definitely feel like we're kind of at the tail end of that a little bit. It's been like that for. A couple of weeks now and i think people are starting to to realize that at least on magic online and and figure some other stuff out so uh yeah it'll be interesting to see kind of like you know what people come up with next right the, and we haven't the, had a, like a straight up modern tournament right. in a little bit yeah, so so exactly. it'll be nice to have a, a i don't know foot foothold a landmark or something like that yeah 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 um, yeah, I mean, so Dallas is this weekend. It'll yep. be really interesting to see what happens in Dallas. I'm really glad that that's happening the week before uh, Charlotte, so I can get a little right, bit of yeah. a... Yeah, we'll have a very, very good read on what to expect, I think, going into Charlotte, yeah. uh, based on what we see this weekend in Dallas. So that's pretty good. But yeah, there, there seem to be a lot of interesting new players in, in Modern. Uh, I do want to talk about the, uh, the kind of this mono-red spells... Arclight Phoenix yeah, deck, yeah. yeah, exactly. People have been playing a ton of that on Magic Online. I've been, I faced it at least once a league, I think. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that a lot of that is due to more novelty than actual success of the deck. Right. I have yet to lose to it, but <laughs> uh, yeah, but I guess I think Storm that, probably has a pretty yeah, good I think matchup. That that's just because of the matchup that I've been playing sure. with. Um, they just really, they only have surgical extraction out of against Storm post board, and everything else is just like. It seems like they should have um, Eidolons, honestly. <laughs> Like, yeah, they're mono red, so the, like you know. it's a they don't have very many actual sideboard cards they can play, so mm -hmm. why not play Eidolon because it's very good against several different decks they could play right. against. For sure. Um, the problem with Eidolon though is that their part of their plan is to cast a bunch of spells in one turn. Sure. So they're sure, like sure. casting rituals and everything, and and with an Eidolon that could get a little tricky. I think it's matching. You don't bring it in against Jeskai, but you would bring it in against any cantrip heavy deck sure. that's yeah, not yeah. that doesn't bolt snap bolt you. Right. You know. But yeah, that deck seems pretty interesting, and, and it's definitely something that a lot of people are trying out. Holy Diva mm -hmm. has been uh, kind of, you know, streaming a lot of that to pretty good success. Yeah, and it's definitely the kind of deck that's very easy to, to catch on, get a following. Like, yeah, it's a monocolor yeah, yeah. modern cool. deck. It's I mean, very you know, cool. It's playing new cards. It's really cool. Um, it's very so. screenshotable. <laughs> yes, so. yeah, a lot, of, a lot of really cool, um, you know, like, screenshots of, like, turn twos with, like, a bunch of phoenixes or whatever. Yep. So yeah, so that's that's kind of catching on. The other big card that's making a splash in modern is Creeping Chill. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, All the dredge decks are just for Creeping Chills now. Yeah. It is not chill. it is not up for debate. It is already just correct. Right, for sure. <laughs> and it it's definitely done a lot to increase the clock of of dredge. Yeah. I think that dredge is kind of goldfishing of like almost a full turn faster than what they used to do. I believe that. Um, and gives you lots of game against the people that are racing back. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Now your burn matchup is is kind of a joke. Burn really needs something, you know, like a rest in peace in order to to compete in that matchup. Mm -hmm. uh, and then also humans, it's also like, you know, uh, I've heard from a lot of humans players telling me, yeah, I played against Dredge and he just like milled over two creeping chills and all of a sudden I was way behind in the race. Right. Um, Draining six yeah. is, is real. <laughs> right. So, so yeah, that card seems to be pretty important and I think that that is definitely going to revitalize Dredge as a, as a powerful modern archetype. I, it seems like it. It's definitely a deck that scares me more. Um, like I am, I'm starting to pick up blue-white control, which may, you know, I may be too late on this but i kind of want to 
it's one of those decks that I want to see from the perspective of the blue white control player so yeah. that I am more likely to beat it when I play against it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, especially with control decks, it's very easy for me to just kind of assume that my opponent has it all the time and yeah. just do my best to play around everything. And I've had right. a lot more success when I've just been like, if you have it, you have it, but I'm going to make you have it very er- like as early as I possibly can. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, and, and, you know, in standard, it's helped for me to play the control decks so that I have a little bit more of an idea of how likely they are to have it and yeah, like how yeah. people are getting me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to learn how to get people. And so I, I may be playing blue white control at some, some tournaments coming up just because sounds like a good idea um more more because i think it's going to help my ability to play modern than it's going to be super likely to be the deck that i win the tournament with but Mm -hmm. it's a long climb up to the top so (laughs) yeah and and yeah one of the like okay so number one people need to stop cutting terminus from their blue white decks yeah because you know all the stuff all the cool stuff that people are doing is just really good against not Terminus-based control decks. Right. A- anytime playing one of these red-slash-black-based, like, kind of graveyard decks, whatever it is, getting my creatures put onto the graveyard, or put onto the bottom of my library is so much worse for me than getting <laughs> put into right. my graveyard. Yeah. And also just, you give yourself the ability to, oh, crap, they have, like, eight power of guys in play on turn two, and then turn three, you just sweep them. Yeah. And that's, that's just too important to give up. Right. But, yeah, like, the fact that Dredge... The dredge matchup is a joke for blue-white until they have creeping chills, and then it's much, much more complicated because they have two plans now. Mm-hmm. And uh, giving your pretty linear graveyard deck just a completely non-combat-based way to do stuff to your opponent is so good. Yeah. Um, the only thing about it is that it does use the graveyard. So if they rest in PCU, that still is bad for both of your plans. But right. Dredge isn't really planning on winning any of its games that a rest in peace stays in play anyways. Yeah, so. not, not typically, for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely Creeping Chill has been a very impressive card and, and revitalizes that deck. And, I mean, most importantly, helps in bad matchups. And yeah. that's, that's the kind of new card that really makes a difference in the format. I think so, definitely. So you're likely to be playing Burn, you know, at at Charlotte Storm. or at Storm. You're likely to be playing Storm at Charlotte at Atlanta. Yeah, pretty pretty locked at this point. Okay, um, I've just been having so much fun tinkering around with just doing Storm things, mm-hmm. figuring out figuring out my post board plans. Yeah, I, I I'm pretty locked at this point to 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 play Storm there. Okay, hopefully by then I'll have my own seventy five. I've been playing the two decks I've been playing out have been. Caleb Chair's 75, most recent 75 that I've seen, um, which of course is very solid and mm-hmm. I've been winning a lot with it. But also um, Andrew Shrout has been having a lot of success mm. on Magic Online. Um, his uh, Magic Online name is uh, Johnny Hot Sauce. Yep. He's, I think, one of the trophy leaders right now. He's been playing a lot of Storm. He's very good with Storm and I trust a lot of his deck building decisions. Um, so I've been testing that out as well. I've already kind of just decided that I'm just going to flip a coin on whether or not I have fetch lands in my deck. I, it's just, you know, it's, it just feels so less important than any of the other real actual decisions that you can make with that deck. Honestly, the dealing with gathering up a playset of Scalding Tarns is the thing that, that, that makes sure, me... Sure, right. That, like, that, honestly, that's that the tiebreaker for yeah, me is right. $400 worth of cards. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm just, you know, I think that... People have definitely focused a lot on, oh, are you playing fetches or fetchless? Mm-hmm. And, and it just like... What? I think it's the question you ask when you 
don't really know about the actual nuance. Like, it's the question that I've asked my Storm opponents, like, yeah. to make conversation, because sure. I don't know that much about Storm. Yeah. So I'll be like, oh, are you... you, on, you on, <laughs> Do you have Shivan Reef or Scalding Tar in your deck? I want to know. <laughs> or, or, or after being like, so what's the difference maker for you? Why yeah, is that? Right, Instead right, of right. asking about actual, you know, hey, like, you're bored in these things. Like, I didn't like that because I, I just don't have the knowledge to make that conversation yet. So. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I think that the the answer, if, if, if a lot of Storm players are being honest with themselves, I think that their answer is probably just going to be, oh, this is what Caleb Jarrett does, and I trust him. Um, so, yeah, that's, that, not that's a bad reasonable. answer. You know, it's not a bad answer, but... Um, there's, there's a reason he's number one on the leaderboard right now. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, He's been storming it up for, for quite a minute. Dude is good at Storm. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm uh, pretty excited about Charlotte. I, I think that's going to be a really fun tournament. I think so, I'm, too. And it kind of feels good... I, I often find myself coming back from a tournament and then having to prep for another tournament like the next weekend or whatever, and I only get like one week to prepare for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But because I'm not going to Dallas, I feel like I have so much time and I'm like already locked in on the deck that I want to play for uh, for Charlotte. I feel like I have so much time to really perfect Great. Uh, my 75 and really get to know it really well. So um, yeah, pretty excited about that. Yeah, I think I'm doing pretty much the th- same thing. I think I'm going to lock in blue-white. Okay. Um, I Nice. Talked to our buddy Jay, and he said, yeah, no problem, you can borrow the deck, which is great, because these are all cards that I do not own. <laughs> yeah. Because it is yeah. very diametrically opposed to my normal modern strategy. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be spending... Uh, annoyingly, because the blue cards cost so much on Magic Online, I can't just rent it from Mana Traders. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I actually yeah. have to, like, buy colonnades or something and sure. then rent it. Um, but yeah, practicing it, practicing with it on Magic Online, and just going to try to get a lot of reps in, and... Yeah figure out that all the lists on goldfish are so weird everyone has something super bizarre about it yeah. whether it's no terminuses in the main deck or no rest in pieces or stony silences in the sideboard mm-hmm. like every every reason that i want to play this deck somebody has found a re- somebody has found a way to like cut that from the deck and i don't <laughs> yeah on, i obviously don't have the the intricate understanding of the deck to get why they've done these things yeah 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 but they don't make any sense to me. Well, one thing that I found out of just control decks and even control players mm-hmm. is that the control decks are really, really benefit from uh, being built to suit your play style. Yeah, uh, it's in, in a control deck. It's it's even more important than normal to really, really understand why you're you have the certain sideboard cards that you do, why you, you you've made the certain decisions that you've made because that fits what you understand the the play patterns to be, mm-hmm. and that also fits what your general play habits are. Right? Yeah. If you're you know I've I've seen a lot of different approaches on like you know like blue white versus humans for example, mm-hmm. where um, some players are like yeah you you know you set up your sweepers and you make sure that you spot removal their meddling mage or whatever that prevents it and then you win that way and and that's how I beat. Could, beat humans with blue egg troll but i've also seen other people go like yeah you're just never really going to beat humans by trying to resolve any particular card it just never works out they have too much hand disruption mm-hmm. and, and metal images and stuff so my plan against humans is to lock them out of their casting any spells so i bring in you know all sorts of field of ruins to attack their mana base i bring in stony silence for their aether vial um and i just make sure that they like can't ever like get their feet on the ground and, and cast any spells um that sounds bad, <laughs> but it, <laughs> but it might work. It, I mean, I gotta try. This it. was Greg Orange, who who is a Pro Tour champion, you know, who told me this. So uh, I can't, you know, I don't know. <laughs> right, I don't know. right. Certainly, he is the one with the experience you know, here. Um, 
I, I will say I tried Greg Orange's standard blue white yeah. Pro Tour winning deck yeah. and found it completely unplayable. <laughs> but that's because it didn't suit my playstyle right. at all. Exactly. And I'm sure that he has very unique and very interesting plans in particular matchups and he's built his deck to be able to uh to facilitate that sure so i think that with these control decks you're probably seeing a lot of very strange very different decisions because of kind of that dynamic of as a control player you need to make sure that the 75 that you register fits what you understand your plans to be so yeah i mean i i think that it's definitely good that you're going to be, you know, having a couple, a bunch of time to, to test it and figure it out yep. so that you can re- register your 75 where you understand why all the cards are there. Right. And my, so just to, you know, give my perspective on the metagame and why I would want to play this deck, uh, I want rest in peace on my sideboard mm-hmm. because it's modern. So I want Haymaker sideboard cards. I probably want Stony Silence in the sideboard unless I feel like there's just no artifact decks that I'm worried about or present or whatever because I like Haymaker sideboard cards. I want Lyra's in my sideboard because that's just, I've just been super impressed by that plan. And I want Terminus's in my main deck because that card is really good and it's the reason to run Jace in modern. That's what I'm thinking with the, only a couple of leagues worth of play under my belt. Yeah. I will update everyone in a week <laughs> once I've played more, and yeah. I may be I may have done a total 180 on these things. Right. So just to let you know why I'm thinking about this deck right now and why I've locked it in, those those are the powerful cards that I think draw me to the deck. So it makes a lot of sense. I think that Lyra is one of the best uh, anti dredge cards that you can have right now. Yes. to be honest, exactly. Like yeah. like I want to beat their creature plan and their crippling chill plan. There's about one way to do that. Right, so. right, yeah, or it creeping chill. I mean. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much it for modern for me right now. You want to take just a minute and touch on limited a little bit. We don't have to like go super in depth, but I I have a couple of things that I just want to kind of get out there. It sounds like you've been playing a little bit of limited, so definitely go for it. Yeah. So I've done some drafts with friends. Um, those have been really fun. There, there's a lot of like, I don't like first picking Golgari cards, even if they're pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Izoni is the only one that I'm, like, willing to first pick at this point. Um, Maybe find finality. Yeah, that's true. Find finality. But mostly because you can easily splash that into Mirror. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, the colors are a little bit imbalanced. I guess the main thing that I want to talk about is, right now, I have some pretty serious problems with playing Limited on Arena. Um, okay. And I'm actually doing a lot of it because yeah. I went ahead and I bought $100 worth of gems because sure. um, I'm just going to you know, draft until I have a collection and then play standard on it. Even if I'm not that concerned about the standard testing not being the best possible standard testing because I know I will play more standard on Arena than I would play on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. So having I'm, I'll have a much higher quantity of standard testing that way. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Um, but for right now, the way I'm getting cards is by grinding drafts, which, you know, has been going fine, but mostly because I found a single strategy that kind of works every single time. You only play against Boros and Demir decks, almost exclusively. That's crazy. It's pretty crazy. And, and the reason for this is that you draft against AIs mm-hmm. um, and you play against humans, but uh... you didn't draft in a pod of any sort. Yeah. And I don't know what algorithms they're using or how they update them or what, but the AIs seem to be a little bit confused about some things. Um, (laughs) I don't know 
if they're drafting off of a strict pick order or if they try to draft a deck or how strongly they like lock into a guild if they're drafting a deck yeah but whichever thing they're doing they're doing it kind of poorly because i have tabled sky knight legionnaires yeah um one of the big things people talk about is that the bots just don't take disinformation campaign which is one of the best cards in the set and so basically what you've got to do is because pretty much anytime you sit down you're likely to be able to get a good to insane demir deck and yeah. you're likely to get a good boros deck you can just sort of pick one of those and go for it based on which cards come sure. and so what i've been doing is just drafting boros over and over and over <laughs> and not losing <laughs> um every time i start a game with a healer's hawk uh i feel like i have come pretty close to winning the game Whoa! because if it's a boros mirror that healer's hawk is going to become a 2-2 it's yeah. later going to become a 3-3 and my opponent is not going to be able to keep up and if it's demir they're very good at locking up the ground so getting those flyers you know my my top commons for boros are really like healer's hawk sky knight legionnaire parhelion control because the flyers just get through for damage yeah um i most of my decks are like three healers hawks two maniacal rage decks and it just works a yeah. lot um makes sense i think that it's probably screwing up my ability to actually draft the set because yeah, this i'm just a bummer <laughs> i'm not gonna get 12 pick healers hawks in real life once people because that card is is legitimately amazing and yeah. you should try to have three in any boros deck regardless of fake format or real format right 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 um so i don't think i'm gonna get three in most of my actual drafts um so you know, and the, the Ben Stark point about, hey, you don't get to choose whether to play or draw, like, that's kind of annoying, but I think it's pretty minor compared to the way that drafting with bots is, like, I just don't see Golgari decks, and mm -hmm. I don't, every time somebody plays a forest, I, I assume I'm going to win, <laughs> not because the Golgari and Selesnya decks are that bad, yeah. but because a, anyone who is playing selesnia or, Gol or golgari is not employing the breaking strategy against the ais so they're going to be probably a weak or, or at least a new player in, uh, in other ways that will manifest during the game sure and so people that play a forest against me tend to play several blank cards in their deck yeah. and I, I win that way um and not because selesnia or golgari are just terrible but because you know they've missed something somewhere sure so and you know the fact that it exists is probably not great yeah yeah right right the fact that there are a number of blank cards in those colors <laughs> yeah is not amazing so i am still enjoying because playing Magic on Arena is a pretty joyful experience, and just getting to play Limited on your own schedule very easily, um, it's, it's fun and it's still good, and I'm also enjoying it because I'm winning a lot, but I'm certainly winning at a higher pace than I would be winning on Magic Online or against, um, you know, even going to FNM or something like that, um, because the, to me based on my experience, I think that the limited format is a little bit broken on Arena. And yeah. so I hope that they fix that. Well, yeah, and drafting against AIs, um, you know, even before you explained why exactly it's really bad, just kind of seemed really detached from my draft experience, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I think drafting is really, really involved, and and but that's all really, really tailored towards... You know, everybody around me is making these decisions that are impacting my decisions. Yeah. And if an AI is doing that and that's like abusable in some way, I'm just kind of not really interested in doing any of that. Sure. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I'm probably never going to entertain drafting on Arena until they implement some sort of, 
you know, drafting with real people mm-hmm. element to it. Yeah, and and then it's totally fine. I don't. I'm fine playing leagues. I don't have to play against people right. in my pod or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it is like the one benefit to it is that you can start a draft and then you can close your laptop and come back to the draft later. Um, you can get a pick that's really confusing and you can post in Discord about it and you have all the time in the world to figure it out. That's fair. Which that's is fair. kind of nice, but I think. To me, based on my experience, uh, you know, I was open-minded about it. It seems to me that just by the raw numbers of Demir and Boros decks that I've played against, it is not working. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I'm looking forward to actual pods of, of human beings. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, they do have that as one of their plans. Like, that is happening in the future at yeah, some point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we know that it's going to. We just don't know when it's going to happen. Um, but those are my thoughts. I guess that was mostly arena thoughts rather than limited thoughts. And limited thoughts fair. in general are pretty biased by my experience on arena right now. Sure. But um, yeah. I, I will say that mentoring onto Healer's Hawk is the best feeling in the world. So if you if you can do that, you know, draft that deck because it's it's incredible. Makes sense. Should we move on to a Patreon question of the week? Yeah, let's do it. All right, so for our Patreon question of the week, Lee asks, how do you bounce back from a bad tournament? So this is a really simple question, but I think it has a lot of potential answers, um, some some complicated stuff. I mean, my preferred way to bounce back from a bad tournament is to set up my tournament such that it is impossible to have a bad tournament. <laughs> um, and by that, I don't mean don't lose because yeah. it's no matter how much prep you do, no matter how ready you are, it's very easy to just go to a tournament and one three it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I really, I put a lot of importance uh, and, and this, especially in the past year or so, this idea has kind of crystallized with me. Um, the importance of getting to a tournament in a healthy and fun way Um, And by that, I mean traveling with friends, like having plans around the tournament, um, being excited for things other than just playing in that main event. Like going to Charlotte, I am so pumped to see everybody at Charlotte. I'm really pumped to go there with my friends who I've been playing with and hanging out with and just do Charlotte together. Um, If I go uh, O and X at Charlotte, I think it's still going to be a good weekend. Yeah. Um, I had GPs that I flew to alone that I went there and I didn't do great. And it just felt like a complete waste of time. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of, you know, setting myself up for failure there. If I had done great, if I had won a whole bunch, if I had won all my matches, then sure, it would have been a good tournament. Yeah. But I left myself the possibility, which sometimes was fulfilled of just having a miserable, pointless weekend. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, we like playing Magic. We, we've talked about this before. The expected value of playing Magic, if you're just counting it in like win record or money that you earn or whatever, the expected value is pretty low. But if you're looking forward to your weekend for a bunch of other reasons, then that sets you up to never expected have a value all of a sudden goes through the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, that's not really an answer to the question of you know, once you've had a bad tournament, mm-hmm. how do you bounce back from it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is a really, really wise thing to point out where, um, you know, if if you are going to tournaments where you are setting yourself up so that if you don't do well in the actual tournament, you have a really bad experience, mm-hmm. you really need to reconsider a lot of the things that are surrounding why you're going to tournaments. Mm-hmm. Because the reality is that you are going to have tournaments where you don't win. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have to be bad 
tournaments right because of yeah that. exactly and so right and if they are bad tournaments because of that then then yeah you need to kind of reevaluate a lot of the stuff surrounding that you know maybe go to you know fewer tournaments or whatever or you know something but that that you know i can tell you from experience that that's just gonna drain you it's not gonna yeah it's you know it's not gonna it's not gonna work out long term you're gonna get tired of it yeah i think a really good point there for sure but you know, if you do have bad tournament for whatever reason, and sometimes um, even if you set yourself up and you just lose a lot, for, and it felt either out of your control or you right. felt like, or or for me, if if I feel like I really screwed up, mm-hmm. then that that is what can send me into a little bit for of sure. a downward yeah. spiral. Yeah, yeah, and you know, you, sometimes you have a bad weekend for a, for a multitude of reasons, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's you know even due to factors outside of the game. You know, you don't always have control over how you're going to feel about things or whatever. Um, so yeah, sometimes you're, you're just going to have a bad experience or whatever. And, uh, you know, how to bounce back from that is a, is a really interesting question. I think it's okay to let yourself, if you feel upset, Mm -hmm. like that, that is a true feeling. That is a legitimate feeling. And, and, and like, there's, there's a difference between just like being salty because like an opponent top deck something and knocked you out of the tournament. Mm -hmm. Like if that's really bothering you, then probably take a step back and start considering like what. Like, what were my goals? Why does that bother me so much? Because um, that's that's variance and that's going to happen. Right. Um, I have had tournaments where at the end of the tournament, I realized I really wasn't very prepared for this tournament. Mm-hmm. And my losses came from me making mistakes that if I were more prepared, I probably wouldn't have made. And I was upset with myself for not investing the time into getting ready for the tournament and and you know because it it's hard to go to tournaments it, it costs money it takes a bunch of time um and i hadn't put in the work and you know me being upset with myself after that was a real feeling and it's okay to be upset especially if you take that feeling and you act on it later and yeah. i don't want to feel like that in the future um and so remembering that feeling hopefully will keep me motivated to do the work that i need to do so i I just don't want to feel like that again. Yeah. Uh, Don't, you know, I think that it's also important to understand that when you are feeling those bad feelings, don't double down on that and feel bad about feeling bad about that. Right. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it's, I think that's a really common trap that a lot of people fall into where they have a bad weekend and then they feel bad about that weekend and then, but they're self-aware enough to recognize that they're feeling bad about that. And then they feel bad about feeling, you know, it's just like a cycle that you can fall into um, but just kind of understanding that, that sometimes that's going to happen and it's going to be okay. And there's just, you know, you're always going to have another shot. You, you're always going to be able to go to another tournament. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not it's not over, right? Right, right. So I think that maybe one of the better ways to bounce back from a bad experience might be to look forward to really understand what went wrong and what, what made the, the, the tournament bad for you based on, you know, your you know, what you had control over, I should mm-hmm. Try to figure out, you know, what you did to, to set yourself up so that you could potentially have that kind of weekend like that. And then, you know, try to do better in the next one. And, you know, learn from that experience, apply it to the next weekend so that you can, you know, maybe this time you're going to prepare a little more and, and focus a little harder on the format and try to figure things out a little better. So or, that, or you're going to get more sleep or drink water, yeah, drink, whatever, whatever the thing yeah, is. Yeah, right, exactly. You know, and I've definitely gone through, you know, kind of all of those stages of like, I typically carry a jug of water around <laughs> now and, you know, that's become a thing. But early on in my tournament experience, I was 
awful at taking care of my body at tournaments and I would be dehydrated and I wouldn't eat at all during the tournaments. And at the end of the day, I would feel terrible, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's, you know, and that created some bad weekends for me, but I learned from that. And now I'm much better at taking care of myself. I'm, you know, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the means, but you know, I'm working on it. So, and that's, that's something that I've definitely seen more, um, in younger players. Mm -hmm. Like I'm 30. Once you're 30, you're not embarrassed about having a lunchbox full of peanut butter sandwiches with you at a tournament. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah. And it helps. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, yeah. I bring I bring apples, I bring oranges. Like, yeah. like I, it, it's just, you, you know. You just gotta take care of yourself. You gotta take care of yourself. Yeah. Even, even if it seems a little silly, mm-hmm. like, it's just so, so important. And right. you know what, man? If you got an extra apple and you hand it to a friend, I promise you that person's going to be like, oh, crap. Th- like, this is awesome. Because yeah. Once you get halfway through a tournament, you you want an apple pretty badly. Yeah. So I think that that's, uh, that would be, I think, that my best advice is is look forward to the to the next tournament and, mm-hmm. and see what you can do better. And um, and just understand that it's just, it's just a process. Yep. And it, it takes time to really get to the point where you can feel good about things like that so right Right. i let the question get away from me a little bit there but no 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 no. um, that's what it's all about (laughs) yeah yeah um yeah yeah it is just a process and i think uh the vast majority of people do not win the tournament or and the vast majority of people don't don't cash the tournament don't do particularly well and you may have legitimate things to be upset with yourself about or disappointed with yourself about but like it's still a game. There are still ways to have fun, even if you've been losing. And a lot of times, my feelings have not been as serious as I thought they were. While, you know, I've scrubbed out of a tournament, felt really, really, really bad. And then I've had somebody text me and be like, hey, we're going to this bar. You want to come? And I've been like, no, I just want to go to my hotel room, but I can't <laughs> say no. And then I go, and 10 minutes later, I'm fine. Yeah. So, you know, maybe... Maybe those social interactions are not the cure for everyone, but boy, they really help me out. So mm-hmm. give it a shot. But yeah, and finding finding your thing, I think, is also a really good, you know, important thing to figure out. Is like you know, for you, it might be hanging out with your friends mm-hmm. and uh, just you can get energy that way. Um, that's really good. But for somebody else, it might be that they need to take a breather or whatever and go to their hotel room and chill out for a little bit. Yeah. Um. So you know, figure out what works for you and. And, and that'll be good. Yep. If you have good friends who... Are, you, usually, this manifests itself with good friends who are good at magic. If I come and I'm bummed and I say, hey, look, I screwed up, like I made these misplays, I will just hear about everybody else's misplays and it will <laughs> yeah. make me feel a lot better. Right, so. yeah. <laughs> for sure. Um, well, cool. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much it for me. For today i agree i think that we covered most things i'm thinking about awesome cool well we will be back with more modern i think that's mostly what we're going to be working on over the next couple of days um, oh yeah and so we're going to be pretty focused on that uh so we will have that next time uh thanks so much to everybody for listening thanks a lot to our patrons if you would like to become a patron head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast or just mtggrindcast.com we've got uh, links We've got links to the Patreon. We've got links to Collins' coaching services. So be sure to sign up for that if you're interested on some one-on-one time. And if you want to find us on Twitter, I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. And Collins is also on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. Thanks again for listening. And have a great week. Peace.